We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And now McDermott again, right to the rim with authority. Robin gets around. Skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. Good morning, good night. Whatever time you're listening to this episode, it is your boy Mike Focci here bringing you another episode of Setting the Pace Valentine's Day edition. No, I'm just kidding. It just happens to be Valentine's Day, but there will be nothing lovey-dovey about this episode other than the boys are back. They use a huge fourth quarter to come back, a 41-point fourth quarter to take down the Hawks, a game that I was very impressed by the Pacers because it was a close game all throughout. Didn't know which way it could have went, but the Pacers were trailing by as many as nine in the fourth quarter before you know Aaron Holiday really started cooking, getting it going. I mean, just a shout-out to Doug McDermott. I mean, there's a lot of guys that – Miles Turner, a lot of guys that performed very well in this game to start the winning streak. Now, one win, that's great. But two wins, now you start to go on a streak. And in comes the Chicago Bulls coming up. I'm bringing on Jason Pat. He covers the Chicago Bulls for uh, the Bull Blog and uh, a few other you know different platforms. So Jason's great covering uh, all everything Chicago Bulls-related. As well as we're going to have my, my guy, Jake Elrod, on the show today, covering a little bit of uh, the Pacers' last few wins and basically the perception of the team as they climb out from sub-500 to now into the fourth seed following Boston Celtics' loss. So I do think that there's some great things on the horizon for this Pacers team. We're not going to win every game. We were never going to go 72-0. There will be losses, uh, some that we should have won, some that you know we couldn't have won. But at the same point, you got to stick with the boys and know that at the end of the day, 
everything's going to be all right. And trust me, I could ramble all day, but I'm going to spare you that. And we're going to bring on Jake Elrod coming right up next. All right, everybody, we are back. And I have Jake Elrod with us, co-host of Pacer Brawl. Uh, Jake, what's going on right now? Not too much. Just got done on that, talking about the Pacers. So excited to jump on with you. Got a couple games headed into this week with some momentum and a nice little stretch coming up. So I think we can really get some momentum going into the All-Star break and get the fans feeling a little better about this team. I really think so, because we were talking the other day. That's why I had to have you on, because Pacer fans, they were losing their mind. I mean, some of them are calling for Bjorkren's head. I mean, you never <laughs> want to go on, on Pacer Facebook. I mean, that is a dark <laughs> place. But but fans were like, this team is horrible. Nothing good's going to happen. It's over. This, this, and that. Next thing you know, I mean, sure, look, it's Detroit. It's Atlanta. But, Jake, I don't know about you. I'm feeling good. Two-game winning streak. We just bumped Boston out of fourth. And, look, who knows how long we stay in fourth. But at the same point, we're doing it without T.J. Warren and Karis LeVert. I'm not complaining about that. No, not at all. And, and like you said, losing two of your big guys, this team's learning to have to play with really Sabonis and Brogdon being your only two consistent offensive dynamic players. And there's been bumps in it. And, you know, even without that, this is a new system. This is a new coaching staff. This is what fans wanted. There's going to be a growing pain period. There's going to be times where this team is still finding itself, finding what it wants to be. You saw last night against the Hawks, he showed a lot more of a willingness and comfort to go with a different lineup. And that's something that is going to take weeks and games for him to feel more comfortable with finding what works with these guys, finding what this team needs to win. And you're not going to find that over the course of just the first 25 games. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a rough patch. But, you know, teams go through losing streaks all the time. The East is a little more balanced and probably not as strong as people thought this year. So I think to kind of take that four-game stretch and, you know, even in that four-game stretch, we, we actually played Utah really well. And they've won like 18 mm -hmm. out of 19 or something historic, some crazy numbers. We had a good game against them, even though we didn't win. Against Brooklyn, there was still a good half. So I wasn't watching this team thinking, oh, man. Man, this team is crumbling. They're collapsing. They continued to fight. Um, and it just took, you know, Brogdon Sabonis to get out of their funk. It took him kind of reworking the the uh, the rotation a little bit and just finding our groove again. I mean, it's a 72-game season this year, and you're going to have down spots. You're going to have high spots later on in the season. So it's just kind of taking a breath, understanding that this is a long season. You have a new coach. You have some key players out. And um, right now we're, we're playing better. So that's what it's all about. And I think part of that, which you, which you touched on, a new coach. Let Bjorkren find out what works and what doesn't work. Because I guarantee you every head coach would say, oh, my God, I've learned a lot since my first year being a head coach in the NBA, and he's still going through it. I mean, we're, it's like he needs to learn on the fly of what works, what doesn't, sometimes playing guys too much. I mean, lately, we've seen some minutes cut back on Sabonis. Uh, it's you know not that much, but at least in the Atlanta game, sometimes you got to be able to go with the hot hand against New Orleans. We saw him, you know, keep a lot of the starters out for a while in that fourth quarter, you know, and in the end, the Pacers, they had a chance to win it. I, I think if they had won that game, fans would have been – saying, you know, having a little bit of a different tune. But I think in this game, this was just a great way of, we've now seen Doug McDermott move back, you know, move into the starting lineup, Jeremy Lamb back to the bench. What have you seen out of McDermott lately? Because the game against the Hawks, 26 points. Jake, I liked what I saw. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the biggest thing in putting him in the starting lineup is you have a guy that moves without the ball. Mm -hmm. You know, if you kind of look at one of the offensive sources for why this team was struggling is it was so dependent on Sabonis and Brogdon with the pick and roll when when the starters were out there. There just wasn't any movement around them. You know, guys just kind of standing around and watching. And with McDermott, he's a lot more active this year in terms of moving without the ball and making sure that he's always cutting, always moving. And, you know, when especially when you have Sabonis on, on the floor, that's a really vital thing because he draws so much attention. And when you have a guy like that that can move and get open, um, it really changes the offensive outlook, and it really changes the way defenses have to play this team. And so I think that it was a really smart move for Bjorkren to put him in the in the starting lineup with the way kind of the stagnation had started to set in and teams were really honing in on that Sabonis and Brogdon pick and roll. And outside of that, the team just hasn't had any counters for that. And that's where you miss the TJ Warren or Karis Levert. So to put McDermott, in there and and for him to have that kind of success around the rim for him to be able to move without the ball I think it's just been a really key spark to getting this team out of that offensive slump that they were in of course and just you know anytime there there's people moving without the ball I mean we talked about last year it just seemed like there was just nothing going on at times like if, if a guy didn't have a ball he wasn't doing anything period so love what McDermott's been doing, all the backdoor cuts, everything. I mean, even I've seen him dunk more. I mean, it seems like early on in his career, it seemed like it was just either coming from three or nothing. And I feel like he's really evolved his game a lot, having a career year. So I love what I saw. But one of the other stories in this game, Aaron Holiday breaking out of his slump. He erupts for 18 points, 13 of which came in the fourth quarter. Jake, when we needed it most. I mean, do you think... Maybe Aaron Holiday could use this to turn the corner, or is it just one of those, like, look, I'll take it any way I can get it, even if it's just one game? You know, I mean, I I honestly feel like that's why they keep trotting him out there, uh, because he has this ability to just light it up at any given moment. And I think probably Bjorkren sees that in practice and, and feels like that that scoring punch can be a vital turning point at some at some junctures. And I think that's what you saw last night. Um, I'm not necessarily holding my breath that he's all of a sudden going to find his consistent level just because we've seen this at a couple different points throughout the season where he'll have a quarter or a half where he looks like an extremely potent and dynamic and lethal scorer, and then he'll just kind of fall off a cliff. I'm, I'm just not really sure where he can find that consistency, what he needs, because I feel like he's in – a system to do it. I mean, he's getting a lot of good open shots. You know, Bjorkren's going to encourage him to drive to the basket. I mean, I really don't see any schematic limitations that keep him back. I think it's just, he's such a confidence guy. Like his waves are really up and down. Kind of like, you know, I've heard you guys talk about on the show before, kind of like how Miles was, mm-hmm, where confidence definitely. is really driving his game. And, and so I think it's just at some point, hopefully it clicks in his mind where he doesn't let the a miss three or, you know, a bad stretch coming off the bench really impact him because they're, they're letting him fight through it. They're letting him play through it. Um, and I give Bjorker credit for that. Cause so, a lot of, I, I don't think a lot of coaches would let him play through the stretch, especially when you have a guy like Sumner that played as well as he did. 
but you can tell they still have a lot of confidence in him. And, you know, as long as they're trotting him out there and he has quarters like this, you can continue to hope that, you know, a, a game like that can carry him in, especially with the teams that we're playing coming up. Maybe he can string together a three or four game stretch where he consistently sees the, the, the ball hit the bottom of the net and that gets him going to a more consistent role. Cause I think, you know, kind of at this juncture, I've really just accepted that Bjork really wants him to be a key bench piece to where the Pacers want to go, at least for the immediate future. I, I think that, that that's vital. I mean, that's what I hope for coming into this year, that he would be a double digit scorer off the bench, maybe, you know, 10 points per game, shoot the three ball at, at a decent rate, maybe like 38%, something of the sort, something that I knew he was capable of, but you can see a lot of frustration on his face when a shot doesn't go in or he gets fouled. He's kind of slammed the ball a couple of times. I, I've seen it happen. So, you know, that He's frustrated with how he's playing, but I love the fact that Bjorkman has not given up on him because under Nate McMillan, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't have seen him for a while. There were stretches where he was kind of in McMillan's doghouse and he would disappear for a while and then come back. So I like the fact that Bjorkman stuck with him. But one of the other major stories of yesterday was the defense on Trey Young. Jake, I was expecting that this guy was probably going to light us up for at least 30 and that's, that's uh, being a bit conservative because last year he scored 49 against the Pacers, had another killer game. I mean, it, in his last few games against the Pacers, he was averaging over 37 points per game. But the Pacers hold him to just three of nine shooting and for just the second time in his career didn't even attempt a three-pointer. We see Trey pull up from feels like 40 feet deep. He couldn't get a look yesterday. Were you shocked by that? Because I was. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we we got to see a little taste of what Bjorkery can do against explosive scoring guards uh, when we played Golden State not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. I mean, we he scored 20, but seven out of 17 shooting. So kind of a similar type of output. I mean, but this was, I think, a different level. Uh, you know, I really thought that uh, Edmund Sumner was going to crack the game again this this time because he did a really good job as uh, on Steph Curry as kind of like he the did. press man on the box defense. But I mean, you have to give Bjorker and credit at throwing the kitchen sink at him. He never oh. and, and you know, he never let him get comfortable. The players, especially Justin Holiday, I thought did a lot of really good things on him in terms of keeping him off balance, keeping him uncomfortable. And you can tell outside of that little stretch where he had a couple floaters and, you know, Bjorken had to call that timeout that, that put them up eight. Outside of that, he was really uncomfortable the whole game. And I, I give the coaching staff and the, and the players a lot of credit. And, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, this team has had its struggles with wings with Warren being out. So you don't really have the defensive matchups there that you would like. But I think that they're doing a good job, a much better job on, on guards this year. And, and Bjorkren deserves a lot of credit for that. And then, you know, Brogdon and Holiday being able to switch on to those guys. I think that those guys deserve a lot of credit as well. But it was definitely key that we held him down. And it was it was definitely a surprise considering the season he's having because he's one of the most explosive scorers in the league. Oh, of course, without a doubt. So I was, you know, tip my hat to Nate Bjorkren and the defensive assignments because they really did throw everything at him. But, you know, some of the other players that I feel like don't get enough credit um, that should, you mentioned Justin Holiday. I feel like he's been rock solid night in, night out. He's just kind of quiet. Like he's never gonna, really going to have an explosive 
30-point game that gets everybody talking, but it's just been consistent play all year. TJ McConnell, I feel like, is someone who's starting to get a little bit more praise, but Jake, he's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, we're talking about someone that the Pacers actually have a positive net rating of eight with him on the floor as opposed to being off the court, and he's leading all bench players in assists and steals, and he's at the top of the league in deflections. I mean, this is a guy who he's a menace on defense, protects the ball on offense, and he's distributed it. Last six games, averaging over nine assists. Last night, 12 assists, just one turnover. I mean, yes, he can't shoot threes. He doesn't even attempt to shoot threes. But, Jake, you got to admit, TJ McConnell has been a blast to watch this year. Yeah, he's been a revelation and really a much more critical component to this record than I think people thought he would be coming into the season. And uh, Destin and I just talked of uh, touched on him when we were talking about this team start. And I think without him right now, I don't think this team is really a 500 team right now. I, I, I think that. that they would probably be three or four games under 500 without his play. Um, you know, one of the things that he really, really brings to this team is pace when this team is struggling to score and Bjorker needs a guy to really jumpstart the team and, and get the guys really refocused. He's the guy they bring in. I mean, and, and, you know, it's not a shot at Malcolm Brogdon, but he can't, he can't really push the pace the way TJ McConnell can. So when you get a guy that comes in like that, you have guys that are on their toes you see a lot of guys kind of wait to see if he can get steals on the defensive end. And so they're always on their toes on that end. Uh, Offensively, you know that if you stay moving and active, he's going to be able to find you. Um, You know, he's an effective inside scorer. Uh, You know, he's actually hit a couple threes recently. So it's fun to at least see him. It's fun to at least see him try it. You know, I mean, I'm sure Bjorkren's in his ear saying, hey, man, if you're open, shoot it. That's kind of been his MO as the coach. But he just does so many things for this team that without him, I really don't know where this team would be. And I think he deserves to be really in that realm of critical pacers. I mean, Miles Turner has been a guy that we've talked about as, you know, kind of one of the unsung critical heroes for this team. TJ McConnell is really, especially over the last few games when the team struggled to find its identity without, you know, with Victor leaving, that was a struggle transition and you don't have Warren or Levert to pick up that scoring. The team's kind of struggled to find its, its feet without some of that. So TJ McConnell's really been a guy that's gotten this team back on track. I think if you can point to something that's really turned the tide, I think his play, especially over the last few games, has really allowed this team to get its feet back under them. And they ran with him the whole fourth quarter last mm-hmm. night. It was the right thing to do uh, because he was he was just explosive on both ends of the floor. It, it really was. I, I just feel like everyone, you know, just like you mentioned, their play is being elevated with TJ McConnell. And I, I would hate for it to take a McConnell absence to truly appreciate what he's bringing to the table because I'm on board. I really am. I I think that when TJ McConnell comes into the game, you feel a difference. And I think that when he was signed, I felt like everybody kind of viewed it as like, this is a guy who's going to back up Aaron Holiday, help, you know, help him out a bit. Man, TJ McConnell is playing really good basketball. I know he's entering a contract year and I I don't know if he's in the plans for the Pacers. Do you, do you think they would resign McConnell. I mean, unless unless they see more from Aaron Holiday this season, I don't really know how you can afford not to. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really like Aaron. Obviously, his upside's higher than TJ with his ability yeah. to shoot the ball and some other things physically that he can do that McConnell can't. But you know, when you watch them this season, I mean, there's just really no comparison in terms of 
who should be the backup point guard, at least for the immediate future. And, uh, you know, I mean, outside of Brogdon, who do they have? I mean, you don't with with Victor Oladipo now gone. We, we have to see if if Karis LeVert can be a primary on ball guy or not. But really, this team's lacking in that. I mean, they're starving for playmaking. And, you know, especially if Sabonis isn't on the court, I mean, you have to have a guy like TJ McConnell because for everything that Brogdon does great, I mean, he's not a supreme facilitator. He's really good at it, but he's not, you know, in the TJ McConnell level of playmaking and creating and just energy and moving. So, I, you know, honestly, it'll be interesting to see what their philosophy is moving forward. I think kind of what they do in the playoffs will dictate who comes back and who doesn't. But as, as we sit right now, I just don't really see how they could afford not to bring him back, at least on, you know, another one or two year deal to kind of give Aaron a little more time if they want to stick with him or be able to try to find a replacement for that backup point guard. Because, you know, like you said, Aaron has had some nice scoring stretches, but I don't think he's proven that he can carry the type of minutes load or be the type of impact player that McConnell has. Completely agree. One thing that I love, and we talked about what he does on the court, but Joel Embiid said it himself that they felt the loss of TJ McConnell last year. Just a great locker room guy. One of those teammates that even if guys are, are having an off night, he can pick you back up. Whether it's with his play, his words, his encouragement, whatever it is, TJ McConnell crosses off so many things on the box that uh, every team needs a TJ McConnell or two. Um but, Jake, as, as we sign off over here, the Pacers are playing the Bulls next. The Bulls are going to be without a few guys. What are you thinking? I'm thinking a Pacers W over here. It looks like no Laurie Marketing, no Wendell Carter. Um, Otto Porter is questionable. So I'm feeling like we could take this winning streak, you know, and, and keep it going. Are you on board with that or what? Yeah, without those guys, I wasn't aware of the injury report. So, I mean, to hear guys like Marketing and Carter when they're already uh, – front court starved it seems yep. like we might have a repeat of what miles turner and sabonis did to them last year uh just completely carved them up in those games they were there but you know i mean i it, it should be a win i mean i think that the pacers are playing better that the one concern i have is zach levine um yeah, you know a guy, a guy like that i mean he's putting up 40 point games now i mean the way he's played the last couple weeks has been even a higher level then we're used to seeing him scoring. And if, you know, you let him get 45 or 50, he can completely break down your defense and cause trouble. And we know there's been kind of role players that have had the Pacers number recently. So you, you don't want that to get into a position where he's just dominating you to the point to where somebody's just so wide open that they're just cutting you. Uh, the whole game, but I, I think the Pacers should definitely win this one. I mean, it'll be fun to see Thaddeus again. Love what he's done this year love with them. I've been keeping track of him. Oh, yeah. uh, flirted with a couple triple doubles. But I hope he gets this one. I hope he gets his not on Monday, but yes, I hope he gets on one. Any other time. <laughs> I hope he gets one. But but if they load up on Zach Levine and and do similar work with what they did on uh, on Trey Young and, and Steph Curry recently, I think the Pacers should be able to handle that one pretty easily. I feel good about it going into the game. I really hope at some point they do move Thaddeus Young to a, a championship contender. I feel like for him to be able to raise his play at this point in his career, it's like, man, you got to put it to use on a playoff team. So I hope so. But like I said, hey, I don't want that triple-double against us. But, Jake, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah, on Twitter, it's at Jake Elrod 44 Like you had said, we had just uh, launched Pacers Brawl. Uh, me and Destin Adams are doing that uh, right now. We're doing one show a week. Might jump into two once we get to the playoffs, but we're getting that project started. So we'd appreciate anyone could jump over there and check us out. It's going to be a blast.
Awesome. Everybody check them out. I really think that you're going to like the content. Jake always puts out great tweets, great shows. So looking forward to it. Jake, have a good one. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, everybody. We are back and we are joined by Jason Pat, editor of Clutch Points app, contributor for Bloggable and co-host of Cash Considerations. Jason, what's happening today? Uh, not too much. Uh, just sitting here in Chicago with terrible, snowy weather. It's awful, miserable, and cold. Uh, so that's great. And I guess it's Valentine's Day today as well. So uh, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Hey, you know, I, I appreciate it. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well as our listeners. Um, and Jason, the reason why we are gathered today, the Pacers and the Bulls, they're going to face off on Monday night. So if you're listening to this, you know, it will be uh, Monday. Um, Jason and I are recording on Sunday. And, you know, Jason, since these two teams have faced off, a bunch of things have changed. Now, for the Pacers, there's not going to be T.J. Warren. There's not going to be Victor Oladipo, two guys that scored 23 and 22 points respectfully in the first matchup when the Pacers won. Um, this time around, the Bulls actually have a bunch of injuries. So it looks like you guys might be without uh, Lloyd Markkinen, Wendell Carter, uh, Chandler Hutchinson, Otto Porter, day-to-day. Uh, does that sound right injury-wise? Uh, yeah, so – We'll see about Carter. He was up today. It sounds like there was an update on him and he was, he went through a full practice. I'm not sure if he's going to play still because he, like it was like two or three weeks ago, they said he was going to be reevaluated in four weeks for this quad injury. But like I said, he went through a full practice. Billy Donovan said he's getting closer to playing. I guess I would still be surprised if he played right away after going through his first full practice. Maybe they'll, he'll come back later in the week. So I would guess he'll still be out. But I, I would say there might be a possibility that Carter comes back. Other than Carter, Lowry is definitely out. Otto Porter has been out. Nobody really knows what's going on with his back. He's got this just goofy back injury. He's, Otto Porter's 27 years old. I like to say on my podcast that he's like the oldest 27-year-old yeah. in, the, in the league. Because it's like he just can't stay healthy and just – Really tough in the end. And then Chandler Hutchinson's been out for personal reasons. We're really not totally sure what's going on with him. He has not really been part of the rotation anyway. So the Carter, Markin, and Porter stuff is the stuff that's really important because those are all rotation guys, important players for the Bulls. So like I said, we're, we're, we're kind of wait and see on Carter if he does come back early. I would still guess no, but we'll, like I said, we'll see. Markin definitely out, Porter out, Hutchinson out. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely a lot of bodies to potentially be without. Um, so looking at the Bulls as an overview on the season, 10-15, they're averaging uh, 114.7 points per game, uh, but they're giving up 116 points per game. So that seems to be a little bit of the issues that that points per game would rank 27th in points allowed, but 7th in points scored. So there, there's like the highs and lows, you know, the assist totals eighth in the league right now rebounds per game very you know so so 22nd that's what the Pacers are right around they're not a good rebounding team so these two teams from the rebounding perspective have struggled but from what I was digging up the Bulls being second most turnovers per game uh Jason has that been something that's really kind of plagued them all year it most certainly has uh because they are going with the Kobe White experiment at point guard and he has not he has struggled but he did have a huge game last week against the Pelicans mm-hmm. where him and Zach Levine both just went off they hit all their threes Bulls had 25 threes that game and I know the Pelicans gave up 25 threes in the next game too so maybe it was just the Pelicans defense but the Kobe White at point guard experience has not been good as good as Zach Levine has been this season in general offensively he does solve a problem sometimes with ugly turnovers. The team in general just can be can get really sloppy at times. I think they've improved a little bit lately. They still have their moments where it's just really ugly turnovers. But there were some games early in the year where it was just like 20-plus turnovers in, in like multiple games and just really ugly. 
So, yeah, that turnover is definitely a problem because if you like, go and look into some of their other offensive numbers, if you look at like, their shooting numbers, their like, true shooting percentage, they rank towards – I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but they w- recently they were top five in true shooting percentage. And in terms of like, three-point percentage, they're pretty oh, yeah. pretty high up there. Like they can When they actually shoot the ball, they put the ball in the basket pretty well. Like, Zach Levine is having a ridiculous scoring season. Just sometimes – they just don't get enough shots up because they're turning the ball over too much. And that is definitely true. That is something that I saw. The Bulls are fifth in the NBA in field goal percentage. They're eighth in three-point percentage. So, you know, you're right. They're, they're doing a lot of great things. It's just the turnovers. I think if you could play a little bit better defense, defense you know, things yeah. could be yeah. different. Because, you know, Jason, for, for those of us that aren't watching the Bulls on a daily basis, you look at this team, 10 and 15, not impressive. But what I did see – nine losses by four points or less. So it's the inability to close out close games. This Bulls team, a couple of those, I mean, maybe at those nine losses, if you go four and five out of those, all of a sudden the Bulls are a playoff team. And it's not just a playoff team. They're like right around that six seed (laughs) mark. So things could definitely be different. Yeah, I and mean, the Eastern Conference standings are just like a joke right now. Yeah. It's just yes. so goofy with like the Celtics struggling with the Pacers have been struggling recently. And mm-hmm. like, I, I know the Nets have won a couple in a row, but even like the Nets, they're the third seed. They're only like, I think four games over 500 now. Oh, just, yeah. And then like all these other mediocre teams, the Knicks, the Hawks have been struggling a bit. I know the Hornets have been playing better lately, but they're still like right under 500. And uh, the Cavs have fallen off so, and the Heat. And Raptors are slowly, finally starting to come around, but they started slow. So, yeah, the East is just like a mess right now. And, yeah, the, the close game thing has definitely been an issue. Uh, they got – you could argue they got screwed in a few games. There's that Warriors game they lost in the year. They uh, – Damian Lee hit a three-pointer in the final seconds that should not have counted. There was Ooh, a, one, a, yeah, a game they blew against the Thunder where there was a last two-minute call that once again went against them. The, the Blazers game they recently lost where Damian Lillard hits two, like, 35 foot threes yeah, in the last like really 10 rough. seconds. I mean, that's just a killer right there. So, I mean, even like that, that one in the Warriors game, you turn those around and it's they're 12 and what 13 instead. And I mean, they do look, uh, looks a little better. But I mean, I mean, overall, I mean, the Bulls are basically just like an average team. They're definitely not yeah. bad. I mean, and if you look at their point differential as well, it's like around like minus one, like yes. overall. So clearly, like they're not, they're not bad. They are they're just kind of a weird team. Like the, the, Zach Levine's having a great season, as I said. They're also being propped up by a veteran bench, which has been absolutely killer. Thaddeus Young has been incredible, former Pacer. Oh yeah. Uh, Garrett Temple's ha- he's cooled off a bit, but like when when Temple and Thad Young play, like the Bulls are much better. Even Denzel Valentine, who apparently just released the rap album today, uh, for I did hear Valentine's about that. Day. I didn't know he was yeah, a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently that was what he was doing uh, during quarantine, all that kind of stuff. But he's actually like been a pretty solid bench piece. So like. The Bulls, the Bulls' young core has a group, and like the starting lineup has been like awful. If you look at like all their like lineup combinations, like the starting lineup when it's all their young guys, and this is including some of the hurt guys when like Carter and Lowry were playing. Like the starters were terrible, and then the bench would come in. You throw Thad Young in the game, you put Garrett Temple in, and then they'd be absolutely killer. So like overall, like the Bulls are an average team. They had thanks in part to it's basically like Zach Levine and their veteran guys have kind of propped them up in this average team, but. Again, yeah, the end-of-game stuff has been a problem. That's hurt the record. And Zach, as good as he's been, he has also had some problems shoot, uh, in the clutch. His clutch shooting numbers are mm-hmm. not good at all. They're, like, in the mid-30 percentage-wise. Uh, he's missed a few, like, close last shots. Uh, there was a Lakers game earlier this year where he had a shot to win it at the end. He missed. Same thing happened in the Clippers game. Where he had a shot to tie at the end and missed. Uh, that's happened in a few games this year. Uh, so unfortunate because he's been just so good scoring. Again, he's shooting like over 50% this year. He's over 40% from three. It's just in crunch time, 
he can kind of just kind of lose it sometimes and some bad shot selection and some shots that he, he makes all the time in general. Like when in crunch time, you tighten up, you know, what that kind of stuff kind of happens. Defense tightens up and he just misses them. And that's all that has played in the fact that the Bulls not being able to win some of these close games. I don't want to put too much on Zach Levine because he's been carrying their offense so often, but that has been a problem during close games where he just kind of, it's not he, – he just kind of struggles down the stretch. Yeah, no, I mean, I want to give Zach Levine a lot of credit because last yep. year a lot of people felt that, you know, if the Bulls' record was better, he could have been an all-star or should have been an all-star. This year he's taken his game to the next level. I mean, yep. it's, it's hard to ask for, you know, everything across the board, but the man has improved in basically what looks like statistically every number across the board. So the clutch shooting, I think that that's something that will happen. Um, because right now, I mean, he I think he's one of those players that is deserving of a bit more credit uh, because it, I think he just kind of gets lumped into those other teams where when your record's not good, you yeah, really don't get absolutely. talked about. So I, I do think that, uh, you know, tip my hat to Zach Levine right over there. But I cannot let you mention Thad Young and just have it just go by. Love Thad <laughs> Young, someone who was nice enough to come on our show and chat it up. I mean, just a great guy. But I felt like I loved what I saw maybe – Maybe about a month ago or a couple weeks ago, he was putting up some big-time assist numbers. I mean, he had like a a near triple-double. He was having eight eight assists, nine assists, 11 assists. He had quite the stretch. What have you seen out of Thad Young this year that kind of has you thinking like, whoa, like where has this been? And do you think he'll remain with the Bulls? Because his contract is only partially guaranteed for next year. Feels like a valuable asset to a veteran team. What do you think with that? Yeah, that has been absolutely incredible. Like I said, he has helped prop this team up. Uh, he was not used this way last season. The way he's been, Billy Diamond's using was not the way Jim Boylan used. He was frustrated last season with the way he was being used. Jim Boylan was kind of using him more as like a floor space, three-point shooter guy. And I mean, as you would know, like he does a lot better work around the basket and that kind of stuff. He, and he's, he's shooting, I haven't checked his shooting percentage in the last couple of days again. But like he's shooting up like close to sixty percent this season. His his little floater flip shot thing is almost like automatic. He just kills it around the basket. And the Bulls have been using him as just a a, a passing hub in the middle of the court where mm-hmm. you do either pick a rolls or you just get the ball to him in the middle and he's whipping the ball out to shooters all across the court. And that's why he's like blowing away his career assist numbers. He's like around four over four assists per game. You mentioned like the triple doubles. He had like two or three games in a row where he was really close to getting triple doubles. He didn't quite get there, but he was very close. And uh, Laurie Mar- Larry Markman was really benefiting from him because I was I was did some research when Lowry was shooting really well. Unfortunately, he got hurt, obviously. But like a lot of his uh, his baskets were coming off Thad Young assists. Where again, you put Thad Young in the middle of the court, you dump him the ball, and then he's finding Lowry Markman for a wide open three pointer. And I mean, he's been doing that all season. Like I said, he's finishing, he's passing, he's been playing solid defense. The Bulls are a bad defensive team, but Thad Young is one of their better two way players. Uh, and they've been playing him at the, basically almost kind of using him as a point center. Like you could almost say like a poor man's Draymond Green. They've been yeah. playing like small lineups, especially like closing games. They like to go with like Zach, Kobe, Thad, Garrett Temple, and then like maybe like Patrick Williams in there. So they use Thad as their like small ball five, and he's decently effective as much as you can hope. So when you let you for as effective as he's been, it's like with this team, like you do wonder like what the Bulls for an office will do with him at the deadline because he seems like an obvious trade candidate. Like the yeah, Bulls, he really does. As like, even though they are, they're going to stick around in this contention here uh, since the East is just so, so goofy, but I mean, uh, contending teams, any contending team could use him uh, very valuable. I think you, you could probably be able to get a first round pick. So like 
if someone's putting a first round pick on the uh, on the table for Thad Young, the Bulls should probably take it. Uh, as, again, like again, yeah, like even if you want to, like if you really want to make this playing tournament or make the eight seed, whatever. I mean, you're still gonna get bounced in the first round. You'll get smoked in the first round. Like I know the playoff experience uh, is great for like some of these young guys for Zach Levine who's never been there, and you do have to consider like. Zach Levine's contract is up next offseason. Like, if you like trade Thad Young and you like tank the rest of, rest of the season, like does Thad or does Zach like start thinking about leaving? You do have to consider that kind of stuff. But ultimately, if you can get that first round asset for Thad Young, you probably do have to take it. Uh, you look like a, at a team like the Boston Celtics who are really struggling right now. They just got smoked by the Wizards today. Mm-hmm. They just lost to the Pistons the other day. The Celtics have a giant twenty-eight million dollar trade exception from the Gordon Hayward sign and trade. Like. And they clearly need depth. They clearly could use help in the front court. I mean, I think Thad Young is an obvious candidate to go to the Celtics. They have a bunch of picks. They have some young guys they can include in, include in trades. Uh, you look at the Brooklyn Nets. We know that they're not deep at all after uh, their starting lineup is really good. But the Nets, uh, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, who's hurt and who could be a free agent this offseason. Like, maybe if you trade, if you swap those contracts, then maybe the Nets include uh, second, like second round picks. We know they don't really have any first round picks left, no. but something like that could be a possibility if they want to upgrade their bench, their front court. Even I, I, I don't know what their plans are with Dinwiddie once he's healthy. Obviously, he's out for the season with his ACL thing, but like, I mean, the Bulls could use help in the backcourt. Like, if Dinwiddie comes back healthy, maybe you keep him this and you re sign him if he does opt out of his contract next or this offseason. So, like, like I said, I think that could be a possibility. But there are plenty of other teams, though, who could use a Thad Young, like you said, partially guaranteed next season so that's some flexibility he's making i think like 13 or 14 million yeah. so it's not like a huge number like Otto porter jr is making 28 million so that makes oh, his contract a bit disgusting. tougher to move yeah so like yeah. that is making half of that basically so like value and, and then you have that flexibility with a partial guarantee so yeah it will be very interesting to see what they do with that because again i do think they should be looking to trade him if they can get that really good asset as much as it would hurt the team this season uh, you probably still do have to pull that trigger. I think you do. Now, when we're looking at this this Bulls team against the Pacers, now look, the obvious, you know, answer, you, you got to try and stop Zach Levine. But after yeah. Zach Levine, I'm seeing a lot of good players that I've been waiting to see them develop. A lot of top 10 picks here that I just feel like, it sounds like, you know, half of them are going to be missing this game. But yeah. <laughs> you know, you're talking about, Kobe White, you know, I love what I saw last year. I mean, he had a stretch where he was dropping 30 points, per, you know, 30 points off the bench at times. I loved what I saw. Uh, I thought he would really take a bigger step forward. Then you got, you know, Laurie. I, I that thought, you know, Laurie Markkinen would take a, a bigger – he's had a good year, He's had, but he's hurt. He's shooting really so, well this year. He yeah, is. He's shooting over 50%, yeah. 19 points per game. Like, I, I like what I saw. I thought the jump would have happened a bit sooner, maybe about a year or two ago. But then you got like your Wendell Carters, who just seems like rock steady. I like what I've seen out of Patrick Williams, very young player. I feel like you're, you're seeing some nice flashes out of him. But who should the Pacers be worried about most outside of Zach Levine for this upcoming matchup? I mean, you do have to worry about Kobe White going off. Again, you saw him in the Pelicans game. If you let Kobe White spot up all the time, like the Pelicans did, and shoot open three pointers, he will most likely hurt you. Like it's when it's his problem is when he's again trying to create too much offense. If you can put ball pressure on it, Kobe White, he can get flustered. He's just not the cleanest ball handler and all that kind of stuff. But it, when he's spotting up and shooting threes and he gets confidence, like you saw in that Pelicans game, he had eight three pointers because they were just spotting up over and over again and getting open looks, and he can beat you like that. Uh, uh, otherwise not often like you said if you can put pressure on him he, he often struggles we already talked about that a lot uh, Patrick Williams has looked 
uh, pretty pretty nice for such a young player. He's he's only nineteen, one of the youngest players in the NBA. He might be the the youngest right I now, think but he might be. Uh, yeah, like there are times where he can sometimes kind of fade. I mean, as you would expect from a young guy who like yes. doesn't want to like overstep his boundaries. Uh, but there are other times where he can be more aggressive. He has shot the ball pretty well this season. Uh, not the high again, not a high volume of threes, but like he shoot he shot pretty well from three this year. He has a little mid range game. He's got a nice little like push like one headed floater he sometimes takes. Uh, and defensively, like he he certainly embraces the challenge of guarding another team's best player. It doesn't always go well when it's when your Patrick Williams going against Kawhi's and Giannis and LeBron's like most of the times those stars are going to get the best of a rookie yeah. but like he's he certainly puts the effort into it and he wants to get better so he's certainly something someone to watch even though like I wouldn't expect him to come out and put up like 20 plus points on you I think he's done that maybe once this season uh but like he's still just an interesting player to watch especially moving forward in the in the division uh besides that I, I mentioned Denzel Valentine as well like he, if he gets hot, he will start shooting all the time. And sometimes he like makes just enough to like stay on the court enough. Uh, so he loves taking heat checks and just, he will take some of the most absurd, absurd shots for a player of his stature, just like normally a bench guy. Uh, but it can be, it is like, it, he can pull, make you pull your hair out as Bulls fan sometimes other times he'll make these ridiculous shots. Like, but he can get hot. So like he, that is a, a more like role player. If you want to look out for a guy like him. Uh, I'm trying to think besides that, like nobody really else usually really stands out. A lot of the time, again, it's Zach Levine and these veteran guys, especially with Wendell and Lowry out. And then if you want to just like, just keep an eye on Patrick Williams as a fun young player, him as well. Yeah. I definitely like Patrick Williams game. And I think for being as young as he is and as a rookie, I like what I've seen so far. Denzel Valentine, someone who I've kind of been waiting for him to kind of be more consistent, I would say, because, you know, in college, I believe he's National Player of the Year, his senior year. He was really good. Uh, yeah. He was really good at Michigan State. And I just feel like he, you know, whether he had injuries or whatever it is, yes, just a lot has of injuries. not been able to put it all together. So it feels like Billy Donovan is a good coach for how young some a lot of these pieces are to still be able to develop them. I, I think that Billy Donovan did a great job in OKC last year that it just kind of felt like they maybe, I don't know, maybe they really wanted to rebuild. They're going in a different direction than him. Whatever it was, I mean, he did far more than asked last year getting yep. OKC to the playoffs. Um, but who are you worried about on the Pacers this time around? Like I mentioned, no TJ Warren, no Victor Oladipo. Uh, Karis LeVert's not going to be on the court. So we're, we're, we're a couple guys down, but, you know, so are you. So, I mean, the obvious answer would probably be DeMontis Sabonis. He, yep. he had a oh, yes. triple-double <laughs> last time the Pacers yeah. and Bulls faced off. Um, but there's also a few other players that, that, you know, any night, like your Malcolm Brogdon's, your Miles Turner's, that any night could really have a really good game. So, uh, bench-wise, you know, we're running a smaller rotation. It's typically about an eight- to nine-man rotation. But uh, there's some guys like TJ McConnell. You know, Jeremy Lamb's had, had his games. And even Doug McDermott, you know, former Bull, uh, he, he's playing pretty good. So a couple different options there, but who are you worried about most? Yeah, I mean, Sabonis and Brogdon are the obvious answer. Sabonis just because, I mean, in general, all-star level player. Brogdon, Borland, all-star. And the Bulls' backcourt defense with Zach and Kobe is uh, as fun as they can be offensively. They are arguably the worst defensive starting backcourt in the NBA, I would say. So, like, <laughs> Brogdon could could get loose on them. He could use uh, it. It's been rough lately. And yeah, and Sabonis as well, since the Bulls' defense is just not very good in general, like, down low, like, uh, Daniel Gafford's been starting in, in place of Wendell Carter Jr. And Gafford's a good energy bench or a bench big 
like a starter. He has really struggled. So like Sabonis could definitely get loose as well. Uh, I guess I could be on the lookout for the, 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 the hashtag revenge games, whether it's Doug, Justin holidays on the Pacers, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. been playing right. Yeah. Bulls. Yeah. So like I know, solid. Like, holiday. Yeah. Holidays had his moments with the bulls that he's had his moments with the Pacers. Both those guys can obviously shoot. So like, I would have to say that you, you watch out for the, the former bulls uh, for a little uh, revenge game action. Hey, I, I always love a, a good cold dish of revenge. McDermott, yeah. like I mentioned, you know, he's coming off of a 26-point game the other night. You know, you had him as a rookie. Now, look, I'm going to be honest. I was not a Doug McDermott believer at Creighton. I felt like it was kind of the classic case of, like, the senior putting up massive numbers because yeah. he's a huge part of the offense. Like, you guys didn't get, you know, McBuckets. You got Doug McDermott. <laughs> no, you know, bad. so <laughs> what was that? Yeah, was that kind of It was not good. Yeah. Because I, I remember it was like a draft day trade. I think he was originally drafted by, I want to say, they, like maybe it was the Nuggets, I think. Or... The Bulls gave up a lot to get him. They basically yeah. gave up They gave up two first-round picks, which ended up being Oof. Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic. They gave up three – what basically ended up being three second-round picks because it was one second-round pick, and then they also took back, like, Anthony Randolph, I think, in the trade. And oh, then wow. they trade used – they, like, used two picks to dump him. So, basically, <laughs> the whole haul ended up being, like, two firsts, and then like three seconds uh, just to trade up, like to trade up like five spots in the first round to get Doug McDermott, a four-year college player who ended up being with the team for like, what was it, like three years and it was bad. And then they included him in a terrible trade of the Oklahoma City Thunder with Thomas yep. Gibson uh, and another like draft pick for like Cameron Payne and Joffrey Laverne and Anthony Morrow, I think was that deal. So like, so yeah, really bad. Doug was not good, good for Doug for, he stuck around. Yeah. He's, I think clearly the Pacers have, like unlocked and just figure out how yeah. to use him best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and he's been on a bunch of teams already, but he's finally found that niche in the NBA and good for him. Yeah, I mean, he did not work with the Bulls. The Bulls, the problem was that the Bulls drafted him, I think, expecting him to be a, a ready-made contributor on a playoff team. Because that was, uh, yeah. was a 2014, and that team was 2014 team had Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, Pau Gasol. They were looking for him to be like a six-man scoring stud off the bench right away. And he just that just didn't happen. And Tom Thibodeau didn't like playing him. He was playing like Kirk Heinrich big minutes over Doug. Uh, so it just like didn't happen. And just, he just never found his footing with the Bulls. Just never worked out. And it's not, just a terrible trade. Uh, we were upset about it when it happened. And it didn't work out at all. But like good for him to find a spot in the league. And he's, stick, he's sticking around. And he's a great shooter. So like the, the is. shooting is so important in the NBA. So good on him for uh he, getting he's that definitely paid a few times. yeah yeah no he's definitely added more to his game he's been a great cutter this year he's had some good dunks some nice backdoor layups so he's added a bit more he's shooting over 50 percent from the field this year so you know i definitely like what i've seen of course you know in classic fashion it is a contract year so you know <laughs> he, he's doing he's doing it again you know he, he's playing well at the right time but as we wrap this up, I mean, this is a, a team that, you know, the Pacers and the Bulls, they both, like I mentioned, they shoot good from the floor, but it's um, both of them rank bottom five in the NBA in free throw attempts per game. The, the Bulls are just outside. They're like, you know, bottom seven, the Pacers are bottom five. How frustrating has it been to not be able to get to the line? Because it kills me every game for the Pacers. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't even noticed that that much this year. I'm, I, I guess it doesn't really surprise me because, Outside of Zach, just the Bulls don't really have guys who you would think like would get to the line that much. I feel like early in the season they were doing it a bit more. Uh, lately, it just has come back down. But again, like yeah, like Kobe White's not a guy who's going to draw a lot of fouls. 
Uh, even when he was healthy, Lowry Markkinen was drawing a few more fouls early in the year, but he doesn't really anymore. Yeah, we talk about Denzel Valentine. He did, never goes to the free throw line. I think he's taken like four or five this year. And even like the, the veteran guys who are good, like Thad, I mean, he doesn't go to the line that much. He's bad at free throws too. So like, and honestly, it's something that just like doesn't doesn't really register with me that much because they just don't. It's just like I don't really expect it from their team other than a guy like Zach. Sometimes Zach. I think Zach sometimes gets frustrated for for not getting calls, and that if, if there's anything that's frustrating, it's Zach not getting as many calls as he might think he deserves. Or he, there's times where uh, it seems like he should have gotten calls and he just doesn't get them because he. I mean, he drives to the lane a lot. He can get to the rim almost like whenever he wants. Uh, so you would think like he would take a ton of free throws. He takes a decent amount. I think I think it's like five or six per game, but I, he probably thinks he could probably be like up at like eight or nine or something like that. So like a couple more chips to the line per game. But outside of him, like I just really don't expect any of the other guys really to get to the line that much. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. In Zach Levine's uh, last ten games, he's only gotten the line four more times. Four of those games yeah. and only three free throws attempted in his last two games. And one of those games, he dropped 46 points in there. <laughs> so maybe this guy is not getting uh, some of the calls that he deserves. So I'll give you that. But as we wrap this up, I got two last questions for you. One is Zach Levine going to be an all-star this year voted in. And two, what is your prediction for this game? Go with the Zach Levine one first. Oh man. I think he should be. I could easily see him not making it. I still think there's a lot that could be determined over these like next week or two. Like, especially I guess with Carter coming back, but with the Bulls being shorthanded and missing guys, if they could actually just win some of these games, I yeah. think that would really help. But just I, I, I could already see it happening. Like from what I've seen with like other people, just like nationally, like what other people have been saying about the all-star ballots, like just whatever other media people, I feel like just people still just don't take Zach Levine seriously enough. I don't know. Like, I don't know what coaches think. Like, obviously he's not getting voted in as a starter. Like, I'm not sure what coaches think about him as like an all-star player. And obviously they determine reserves, but like, I, just, I feel like with the conversation, I still feel like people just haven't updated their priors enough on Zach. And that like last season's version, I thought was, it was totally fine that he missed it. And this season's version totally, I think, absolutely deserves it. But there's there are a lot of good candidates out there in the Eastern Conference. And, I mean, I mean, you look at a team like the Pacers, like, is Sabonis going to make it again? Like, it could could it come down to, like, Zach Levine versus DeMontis Sabonis for, like, that last spot? Because if you look at those, like, the first, like, four teams or whatever, like, you got the Nets three guys, and the Bucks have at least two guys who will make it. The Sixers have at least two guys probably. The Celtics, even with their struggling, like, they'll probably get Jalen and Jason. That's already so. nine guys. That's yeah. already nine guys on four teams. Uh, so you're looking – and then you, Bradley Beal's going to start because he's leading yep. – he's crushing it in the voting. You have Trey Young as well. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other really good candidates. Again, I mentioned Pacers guys. You have Zach Levine there. You have guys from other teams. So I could easily, I'm going to say he's, unfortunately, I think he's going to miss, even though I think he should deserve to get it. And if he does make it, I'll be very happy for him. Uh, in terms of the prediction for the game tomorrow, I feel like the Bulls have had a lot of problems with the Pacers just in general, just in function of the Pacers actually being a good team for uh, a while. Just generally, they're always pretty good. And the mm -hmm. Bulls have not been good in a while. Uh, I know the, I don't think it's going to be a blowout like that first game this season that, and the Bulls were still just like a mess uh, right at the start of the year like that. I think uh, the it will be a competitive game. I would guess the Pacers still do come out on top, even though they've been struggling a bit lately. But I think it will be a good close game. I would not be surprised if the Bulls did win, but I still would bet – or 
I guess maybe not bet, but I would predict <laughs> the Pacers to win a close game. Yeah, I'm going to go 118-110 Pacers. I just think you guys are without a lot of bodies right now to the point where some of the things the Pacers struggle against, I think that if you're not going to have Wendell Carter there, if you're not going to have Laurie Market in, if Otto's going to be out, I mean, you guys are missing out on some solid size right there. I think the Pacers are finally, I know it's just two games, it's just wins over the Pistons and the Hawks, but I feel like they're starting to turn a corner a little bit. So I could see them going on a bit of a winning streak. Um, you know, unfortunately, that'll come at your guys' expense. But <laughs> I do think, it, you know, if Zach Levine is going to be snubbed, I, I think it, it should be one of those where you're getting a solid reaction out of other players coming to his aid to say, this guy yeah. is an all-star. Because I, I really do think he's having the best year of his career by yeah, far. Really, exactly, yeah. by far. And if he's not an all-star now, it's kind of unfair because – I feel like Bradley yep. Beal is getting a lot of the praise. And Beal is averaging more scoring-wise. But I feel like Zach Levine is, you know, at least 85% of, of the type of player, you know. At, at least, I would say. I, I think Beal's giving you scoring. But, come on, the Wizards are atrocious. So, you know, Levine <laughs> yeah, I mean, deserves yeah, if some you look, credit. If you look, yeah, if you, as I say, if you look at some of the other, just like the advanced stats and the efficiency, yeah. I mean, Zach hasn't beat – Beal takes a ton of shots. Like if Zach was taking the same amount of shots as Beal on that Wizards team and doing it at a similar efficiency, he'd be also scoring like 34, 35 points a game. He I wasn't doing that. They're trying to spread the ball out around a little more. Uh, so you can de- like again, Beal definitely has. He's got the fan vote behind him. I yeah, think that's gonna uh, he's lead gonna him there. It. And he's I, gonna make it. Yeah, and I think he, there's probably some sympathy there as well because he there is. didn't make it last season as well and the, his whole situation. So I think he's got that advantage. But like if you just like if you took that all away and you just like put their two resumes this season next to each other, you can make an argument that Zach is the more deserving player. So it's it's definitely interesting, uh, and we'll see how it goes. Hey, no, there's definitely uh, two different arguments that could be there. I mean, outside yep, of sure. point, outside of points per game, Levine has better stats on a team with more wins, taking less shots. So, I mean, there, there's definitely an argument there. But, hey, we're, we're not going to start that war up. I, uh, Jason, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, before you go, can you tell everyone where they could find you on social media? Yep, uh, for Twitter, it's at Bulls underscore J. And then, as mentioned at the top, uh, uh, editor at Clutch Points. Uh, for bull stuff, bloggable, and then I also do some stuff at Forbes. Uh, and then my podcast, I'm with Rookie O'Donnell. We do Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We usually do at least once a week, uh, sometimes more than that. But, but yeah, that's basically it. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you very much. And, uh, hey, good luck in uh, Monday's game. To you as well, and thanks for having me. You got it. All right, everybody, we are back. I want to give a special shout-out to Jake Elrod and Jason Pack. Coming on the show, breaking down the Bulls game, that, that's going to come up, as well as, you know, Jake just covering uh, what's been going on with the Pacers lately, letting everyone know the sky is not falling down. This Pacers team has won two straight. We're coming for the Bulls next. The schedule is getting a little soft. You know, we have Minnesota coming up, the Rockets, a, a uh, revenge game against Victor Oladipo. And we have, you know, the Spurs, look, we're not going to go down a whole week down the line, but just know that these are very winnable games. I I feel that the Pacers are turning a corner at the right time. I hope you feel the same because right now, Boston just lost to the Wizards. All of a sudden, the Pacers are in the fourth seed right behind Brooklyn for third. I'm hearing that Jay Michael just tweeted out that it's believed that TJ Warren's going to rejoin the team very, very soon were the exact words. 
you know, take it with a grain of salt. Who knows how soon, but it feels like, yes, he'll, you know, join the team, be on the end of the bench, maybe watching some practice, maybe eventually participating in practice. But we also just heard that Karis LeVert's going to be returning. You know, he's, he has returned to the team, but looking better and better. He's been getting shots up where, guys, this might align as maybe a safe bet. I don't know, maybe an April return for the both of them all of a sudden. You know, people make it seem like this team's no good. I want to hear from you when that happens because I'm taking it as a glass half full approach rather than a glass half empty because this team, they're doing more than just treading water. In the East, the bottom half of the East, you know, you're, you're sub 500. If the Pacers can at least stay just above 500 before they get Warren and Levert back, we're going to be more than fine. But if we can be... Maybe, you know, five games above 500 by the time that TJ Warren and Karis LeVert return, we're going to be in great shape. So I'm really excited for uh, what's to come next, especially coming off that Hawks win. Come on, if you're not still fired up about that on Valentine's Day, love is in the air, but so is Pacer basketball. I love it. So at the end of the day, you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find my co-host Alex Golden at AlexGoldenNBA. And you can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. I appreciate everything you guys ever do for us. But at the end of the day, if I could drill one last thing into your head, just three words. It's Let's Go Pacers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.